Aloha, y'all. Jeremy here, our undoing radio everywhere. Thank you for being there and listening right here. Um, that wasn't deep. It was just kind of silly and rhymy. My bad. I get confused sometimes. This week's episode is um, in the vein of scenery from a life. That would be my life. <laughs> what can we learn from the scene? Well, let's set the scene and see. This is something that is more what I would talk about on Paratopia or The Experience, the two podcasts that I'm probably most known for, uh, which are paranormal-themed, skewing toward the quote-unquote alien or ufological. So I, I am sort of hesitant to share it on our undoing unless we can gather something deeper from it uh, than I've gotten by speaking about it before. Well, let's see if we can. What am I talking about? I'm talking about um, a dreamtime prophecy. And usually I connect this with a vision. Um, so the dreamtime prophecy was in, what, 2011? And the vision was in 1999. And the vision was... Uh, as I was going to bed, um, I was living in an East Village apartment in Manhattan in New York. And I was on my way to bed. Um, it's a loft bed, so you had to climb a ladder to get to it. Not that that's important. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but anyway, so I climbed the ladder and I got into bed. And I didn't, you know, it was like literally that. I climbed into bed. I didn't go to sleep. I had just sort of shut my eyes um, and felt high up in my nasal cavity. It's like I heard and, and felt a crunch and a snap and this sort of boom in my head. It like reverberated throughout my skull. Um, and there is such a thing as booming, I think it's called booming head syndrome or booming skull syndrome. Um, but it's one of those things where you read about it and you go, oh, this is just that a number of people reported this. And a psychologist um, attached a name to it. But it doesn't actually tell you how or why this is happening. It just describes it. And so I guess you're supposed to just feel better about the fact that there's this description. So you can go, ah, I have that. Um, I don't know if this is that, but at least this initial part sounds like that, right? A boom that reverberated through my skull. Uh, but the next thing that happened, which is not a part of the definition, is a 3D visual of the Earth, like a like a green grid, like a bad Atari graphic or, a, or an old 1980s sort of computer graphic model of the Earth, came crackling alive. There look, it looked as though there were sparkles of electricity crackling alive. Uh, this image in my mind's eye, almost as if someone, a time traveler from the 1980s, just had to get this message to me uh, and beamed it into me. Um, and it was a visual, again, of the Earth made out of green lines. And it was rotating on its axis, as Earth is prone to do. And the only thing that wasn't green was the white mass, uh, presumably of ice or snow, at the top uh, in the Arctic. And as the Earth spun uh, to North America, the outline of North America immediately this ice or this white mass, whatever it is, 
um, shot down over, I would say, the the eastern half or the northeastern half of the United States. That's it. Vision over, it goes away. That was it. There was no audio to it. There was no, you know, great declaration of things to come. It was just this visual. And that stuck with me. Um, And in fact, I tried to attach it to the year and the month, 5-5 and day, (laughs) 2000. So May 5th, 2000. um, Because I'd seen an episode of a TV show that talked about this planetary alignment with the moon and the sun that will affect gravity and it will essentially cause a, a, you know, a a quick freeze that ice will slide off the North, which is sitting on the consistency of toothpaste at this point. Um, the ground underneath it, that is. Uh, and so it would slide off. And so I thought this was what was going to happen. And when five, five, 2000 came, uh, it didn't happen. And, to my great relief. But then I thought, well, what is this vision then? Well, you know, my bad. I associated it with the wrong thing. So, but the vision is still the vision. And um, there's still no date attached to it. And this is assuming that it's even a prophecy and not something that's just uh, for me to to toy with, to tinker with, to make something of. But cut to 2011. And I am moving out of New York. Um, now I'm living in, uh, in Queens in Forest Hills, Queens. And I've had a whole bunch of the spiritual shenanigans that began in the, really the year 2000, um, with Kundalini awakening and so on and so forth. Um, and we'll have a Kundalini episode in the season. So we'll, we'll talk a little about that. Um, but right now, if you go to our undoing.com and become a member, you will hear, me tell you things about Kundalini that you've never heard before. At least I've scoured the internet and not seen it anywhere. Um, but what do I know? It's not like I'm an expert. So I digress. I'm living in uh, Forest Hills. It's after a number of years of, of the spiritual unfolding after having the, the big, I am experience, the universal oneness experience of seeing and being the universe come into existence out of nothingness. It's after all that. I've lost my taste for um, television, which I used to work in. I'm now just working in a pet shop. I'm just existing. And I remember walking down the street one fine day, and just it just popped into my head, time to move to Hawaii. Um, you, you're, you're done spinning your wheels here. You can spin your wheels there. You can spin your wheels in paradise. Because there's no reason to live here if you don't have an ambition. Um, Why pay those bills? You can pay the big bills in Hawaii. So I decided to move. And my mom said, well, you know, your lease is up in September. Why don't you um, move back here with me, stay here for a couple of months, and then go to your sister's wedding, which was, I think, January 2012, if I'm not mistaken. So... I said, okay, I'll do that. And then ultimately fly out in the beginning of February, I think it was, 2012. So all of that was in motion. I went to my mom's. Um, I was staying there. I was doing a comedy podcast with my friend Tim Banal called The Good Parade. And all was well. I was still doing Paratopia with Jeff Ritzman. Um, 
And then so, somewhere early on in there, uh, living at my mom's, I had this dream. And in the dream, I'm floating in Kealakekua Bay, which the only time I ever visited Hawaii was about five years previous. And uh, I was taken free diving in, in the bay. And dolphins came up around me and swam in a circle. And it should have felt magical, but it was actually terrifying because these are animals. And, uh, and there's you know a baby. And who knows how a mom dolphin will react if they're judging you and there's a baby involved. I don't know. Uh, I mean, it was magical after I got over the shock and the fear of, oh, yeah, no, these, they're probably sizing me up and I'm in their territory. Um, then it became sort of magical. But here we are five years later and I'm dreaming that I'm floating in Kalakakua Bay and it's kind of dark. And this dolphin pops up in front of me and starts talking to me. I don't remember what the initial you know, few words were to the conversation, but it was a fairly even balanced sounding male voice, kind of a young sounding 20 to 30 something male voice, I would assume. And this dolphin, uh, as I say, is talking to me and, and in the dream, I'm thinking as it's talking, I'm thinking, Oh no, I cannot have a talking dolphin because uh, I've got to talk about this on Peritopia, but if I do, I'll lose all street cred. I mean, a talking dolphin, this is nuts. So I flippantly say to the dolphin, Ugh, God, yeah, if, uh, so if talking dolphins are real, what else is real? Are mermaids real? And the dolphin says, what is a mermaid? And I say, you know, it's like a half human, half fish. And the dolphin says, I've never encountered one in all of my travels. And it was at that point that the dream became lucid. I woke up into the dream because I realized that this was not my unconscious mind. This wasn't me talking to myself. I wouldn't say these things. <laughs> I wouldn't sound like that. And I would know what a mermaid is, you know, like whatever it is, it ain't me. So I woke up into the dream and then suddenly I was a little more serious and I said, okay, what is it that you need to tell me? Because it was clear that there was someone here perhaps a dolphin. No, I'm just kidding. I don't really think it was a dolphin, although people are into that, right? Dolphin consciousness and all that. So who knows? Let's keep it open. That way I don't lose listeners. A dolphin spoke to me in a dream, people. And here's what it told me. Um, well, it showed me. So there was a visual and, and the dolphin was narrating and basically showing me um, an overhead view of sort of a 3D topographical map of the United States and showing people uh, migrating west from the East Coast. And the dolphin is telling me that something, some sort of cataclysm, something, I don't know what. He doesn't say what. He just says something big is coming and people are going to want to get to the West Coast. First, they're going to move like to the middle of the country, to the Midwest, and then they're going to realize life isn't sustainable there. So they're going to keep going, and they're going to get to the West Coast. And by the time they hit California, they're going to be sort of smothering themselves, and they're going to want to get out, and they're going to want to come to Hawaii, and presumably Alaska's out of the question, and Mexico is out of the question. So the last sort of state in the Union, and the last place that'll take them, I guess, is 
Hawaii, but they're not going to be able to get here because the airlines will be down. The grid is going to be down. There's going to be no planes. And so he was saying, you've got to get to Hawaii now. You've got to get here right now and plant your roots. This is what he said. And I said, well, but I, I, I thought about it a second. I'm like, well, but wait a second. I am going. I mean, this is why I was at my mom's, right? I was going to my sister's wedding. And I thought it was pretty inconceivable that this would be happening uh, if such a thing were to happen in the next, like, month. So I don't know why I would find that inconceivable, but I guess it was inconvenient to my plans, right? So I was arguing with it. I'm like, well, listen, I am coming. I'm, I'm coming in a couple of months. I'm just going to my sister's wedding. He's like, no, you have to get here now. You don't understand. You have to come now, now, right now. And I just kept saying, yeah, okay, but... I'm going to go to my sister's wedding. He's like, you have to get here. Plant your roots. Get here. And when he said plant your roots, I knew it not to just mean um, to uh, have, form a sense of community, to be known in the community, that sort of thing, um, to feel at home. That was definitely a part of it. But the other part of it was literally he meant plant your roots, learn how to farm, get here. And I, I mean, I just knew that this was what he meant. So I said, okay, thank you. And that was that. Dream over. Now, what was also going on at the time, and I don't remember if this was before this dream or like within days after, I just don't remember. But um, somewhere in there, there was a listener from the Good Parade that I was doing with Tim Banal, uh, a woman who was, I guess, a fan or whatever, a listener, who had invited me. She knew I was going to go to Hawaii and she invited me to come stay with her in California indefinitely. <laughs> uh, like she would take care of me. Uh, I could just write and do whatever I want. I could stay for as long as I want and then go to Hawaii. So it was just sort of an open invitation. Come to, come, come to California. I will take care of you. Apparently she was wealthy or wealthy enough and leave whenever you want. And Oh, by the way, she is an admitted alcoholic. And every time I spoke with her on the phone, she was completely drunk. Um, I don't drink, so that's always fun. Um, now, this is obviously the worst idea ever. Like, you'd have to be out of your mind to say yes to this. And I am. So I was like, yes, I will do this, yes. <laughs> I, I can't not take this opportunity, because God knows whatever train wreck happens, I'm going to be able to write about. Uh, so it's going to be a creative inspiration to me, <laughs> at the very least. And who knows, maybe it'll work out. <laughs> No, that was never in the cards. So I think that's what the dolphin was talking about, was don't take this hiatus to California. Get to Hawaii right now. And I guess, thankfully, um, after I bought the ticket, of course, she bailed. She got cold feet, which is smart. Because, I mean, even from her point of view, even though she hears me on the computer or the radio or whatever probably the computer i'm guessing guessing the good parade isn't on your radio but uh she i'm a stranger to her right so yeah i mean maybe she woke up she was sober enough one day to be like wait what am i doing this is um he could be a serial killer um and of course i should have been that way too but like i said i'm i'm willfully stupid uh so I ended up spending the night in the airport in California and um, then just taking off to Hawaii, which that sucked. But okay, I got to Hawaii. And um, ultimately, within a few years, I mean, I, I certainly became a fixture of my little community. 
But then within a few years, I actually met my now wife, Carol, and she bought us a lovely place out in the middle of nowhere, which is acres and acres of um, farming land. I mean, it, it's ag- agricultural land with great soil. And I, I'm, I'm stuttering around it saying it that way as to tell you that it's not like I'm really farming it. <laughs> But I can if I want. I mean, I'm starting to. I'm growing gardens, and we've got ducks now, and it's coming into fruition. It's like you can see it happening, right? So over the past few years, in the winter especially, I would watch uh, weather patterns over the eastern half of the United States. And it does look as though these um, these super cold fronts and whatever that that swing down all the way to Florida, I mean, they do look like the pattern of both visions, both the vision and the dream. And yet there hasn't been a quick freeze. So that's good. But now along comes the COVID-19 pandemic and essentially everyone is sort of stuck where they are. And the East coast seems to be hit the hardest and the planes are down, right? For all intents and purposes. Um, And this is just the prelude to, when this disease dies back in the summer and inevitably comes back in the fall or the winter harder than ever. Um, and maybe it won't, but usually that's what happens with these things, right? So is that what this is getting to? Is something wicked coming out of that worse than what we are seeing now? Maybe. I, I tend to think that this is a harbinger of a greater thing that does include some sort of ice age coming. Um, ironically, perhaps due to global warming, but it's interesting to watch this pandemic unfold and to see just how fragile our society is, how fragile all of our systems are around the world. Um, I mean, everything just shuts down because of this microscopic critter, this alien invasion, so-called, right? Actually, mother nature (laughs) with a wake up call and how do we deal with this wake-up call? I mean, we've been talking about it over these episodes. Um, I guess I really do put together, especially here in America, it's just easy for me to see the Bernie Sanders side-by-side with the virus thing of like two chances to look in the mirror and do something about it, right? Like we've had progressive candidates for president before, but none of them that caught fire like Sanders did. And we've had big... Um, national tragedies and even in some sense global tragedies, but none that have actually brought us together to fix the mindset that is, you know, the overarching problem. And we're, we're, we're making the same mistake again. It's like we we have one after the other and it's as if, I mean, I wrote this on Facebook a number of weeks ago. It's as if we're living in a prison and we're staring out a window and we love our little vision of the world. I mean, we don't really love it. It's just that we're used to the prison life. So we think we love it because we don't know what love is. We just know the prison version, which involves dropping the soap. No, wait, let me, let me start that over. So, okay, we're in prison. We're staring out a window and, um, somebody puts a mirror in front of the window and says the way out of prison is through here. You have to work on yourself. You have to look at you 
and deal with you authentically for the prison to dissolve, to be out of it. And it would seem that our answer is, hey, somebody move that damn mirror. I'm trying to look out the window. I mean, right? And over the years, I've tried to be sort of balanced about the dream and say, look, it's just a dream. I don't want to scare anybody. Nobody knows, blah, blah, blah. But uh, I feel like I'm discerning enough to know the difference between a dream that is me and a dream that is a communication of some sort. Um, Because not every dream is. In fact, 99% of them, (laughs) 0.9 probably, are not. Um, So I'm not one of these people who's like, every dream has deep and meaningful blah. No, dreams are all sorts of things, right? Um, The most basic thing they are um, is a regurgitation of your day through a bunch of abstract imagery and the such. Um, Then there's also the personal um, dream that is about you working on your own personal unconscious issues that you don't want to deal with. And that's all the personal. But then there is... Um, there are also things of the impersonal, you know, sort of archetypal dreams and this and that, which if you confront them can help you grow or help you um, feel in balance, in better balance. And then there are communications from someone somewhere. And let's just leave that a mystery. Maybe that someone somewhere is the own interiority of the universe itself. Maybe it's archetypes. Who knows? All I know is it's not your own personal mind doing it. But if you're somebody who believes that all dreams are the same, they're all deeply meaningful for everyone, and you're that snore at a party who everyone tries to get away from because you want to tell them your dreams because they should be important to everyone in the room, um, you're delusional. In the clinical sense of delusional, as in, that ain't working. (laughs) Right? So... If you can't discern the difference, there's a problem. I can discern the difference. So not an issue for me. So that being the case, what do I do with it? What is my responsibility? I mean, is it an actual prophecy? I mean, just because a dolphin or some intelligence comes through the mask of a dolphin in a dream to tell you something that seems to be prophetic on a uh, grand scale is that really just a motivator to get you off your butt to go be where you need to be Um, for whatever reason somebody else would care to do that for you Um, and if you're still stuck on but all dreams are personal jr like if you're a complete skeptic about dreams ever being anything else if you go the other way with your delusion um Well, let's follow you there and say, okay, it's me. I am the dolphin talking to myself, telling me to get to Hawaii to, you know, plant my roots and whatnot. Don't you think it's a little confusing to have that be me doing that to me in this day and age where the fit really is hitting the shan, so to speak, uh, where we're seeing it right now? I mean, if a dolphin came and did that and it was like, I don't know, 1960 or 1950 or something, and they were talking about a calamity like that or global warming or, you know, an ice age or something, um, it would seem outlandish enough from that far back even to ignore as a prophecy. 
But now it's like it's happening. And in the dream, I did feel as though we're only talking about a few years. We're not talking about even 20 years down the line. Like in a few years, this is going to happen. Something, whatever the this is. So I do believe it's going to happen. I don't believe it's COVID-19, but I believe that that is a harbinger. I think something else is at our doorstep. And it ain't going to be pretty, but it's going to be necessary. But just try telling that to the people who are going to be in pain because of it, who are going to be in shock because of it. The real world practicality of saying that out loud, of sharing a prophecy or something like that. Um, it's like in order to do that, I guess I would have to be almost a sociopath or something. Like I would have to not care how it affects people, right? Um, because what what it happens, then what do I do? Do I go? Oh, I told you so. Like really? What can my response be? I mean, I did a um, I used to host a culture contact festival in New York and New Jersey, and in the second year we did it. We only did it two years, the festival. But the second year, we had these guests who talked about the 9-11 tragedy as if everyone in the building chose their fate before they were born. That was where they needed to be. That was where they, they chose that life. And it was really the most hideous... I mean, if there were such a thing as evil, evil thing you could say in a room in New York or New Jersey, Right? Like the Twin Towers victims, they chose to be there prior to birth, so don't worry about it. Uh, the ones that jumped out windows and to avoid burning alive, they wanted that. That was their learning experience. Um, I mean, whether you believe that or not, why would you ever say that out loud, in, especially in that room, in that place, you know? I mean, the amount of unconsciousness that you have to have or just not caring um, is incredible. So how does one approach a doomsday prophecy that they have? Like I said, for me, all these years, I've sort of told the story and written about it, or at least in my new book coming out soon, um, I... Maybe it'll be out by the time this episode is out. I don't know. Probably not. So let's just say coming soon. Um, I do write about it. But I don't want to stand behind it. I don't want to say, yes, this is what's going to happen, and I've got the answer, and you better... I certainly don't want you coming to Hawaii. (laughs) I don't want to overpopulate these poor islands uh, with Howleys any more than they already have been. But also... Most people, it's just going to bounce off them. They're going to go about their lives and not care, right? And should they? I mean, should you put your faith in the words and the dream of a person you don't know? I mean, we continuously do this, right? We continue to put our faith in people who claim um, extensive knowledge or wisdom on topics that would presumably have a long-lasting effect on our lives and or our afterlives, right? This is what we do culturally. This is what we do individually often. So these are the things that I have to wrestle with as someone who does have these things happen. um, What is my responsibility with them uh, in terms of communicating them and 
does it do good? I mean, this is the barometer is like, is there a point in communicating it? Can it do any good in the world? Or can it only confuse people more, cause more belief, more disbelief, um, or just go in one ear out the other? You know, like, what are you supposed to do with that information anyway? I don't know. But there are certain things that we can all see if we just look. And I've been trying to make this point, and I'll do it one more time here, and then I'll leave it alone, which is politically, we had a shot at real progressive change, really overhauling the system that we all know is broken and that is hurting us and or murdering us. Run by sociopaths. We had a really popular candidate who really did want to change everything and could do it. And furthermore, the the argument of like, where are we going to get the money from? We all saw that that's not a problem when it comes to things that we really want, like war. That's not a problem. Uh, Like tax cuts for the filthy rich, not a problem. And like... Uh, the stimulus package response to the COVID-19 virus, not a problem. So somehow, some way, we always allow ourselves to believe the media narrative that tells us, no, 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 you can't have better because we can't afford it. And by that, I mean, I and the other rich friends that I have might lose some money. And you might gain some money. So you don't want that. You don't want a better life. You want to stay in this prison here. And I feel like maybe movies, the the concentration on superhero movies as of late, the Marvel movies and the such, Star Wars and all that, even though I love them, maybe they're a bit much. Maybe they've made us complacent into thinking, uh, looking at the ideal of what a... uh, a good guy is right. Or a, a good woman in a, doing the heroic thing in a, in a bad situation. And we envision ourselves, what would we do? And we think, Oh, we would, yeah, yeah, we'd be that person. No, we wouldn't. What we would do is go back to sleep in our prison would beg for the window and then pretend that's not what we're doing. Like have complete amnesia unfold as our actions unfold so that we are blind to ourselves. It's really strange, and it's strange to see almost like a narrative unfolding of like, okay, first, first you're going to get this opportunity politically. Okay, you failed that. Now you're going to get this opportunity with this virus, right? Now you're going to be able to do the systematic changes that need to get done uh, with this virus. And our response is, no, we want to go back to work because we like being wage slaves, right? Right. Yeah, we want to get back to work. We want to we want to go back to going outside and staring at our cell phones. It's not enough to stare at them inside and sitting what, on a couch. I mean, come on. I could stare at the cell phone walking down the street. Let's do that. Um, this is Looney Tunes. We are crazy. And instead of confronting our crazy and getting better, we're not at war with our crazy. We're at war with nature? We're at war with the wake-up call. What do you think the next wake-up call is going to be? You think there's going to be one, or do you think it's just, okay, we're done here? Because Mother Nature doesn't need us to save her, as we're seeing. This is the other part of this uh, COVID-19 that's kind of interesting, right? Is seeing how 
Quickly, the atmosphere has cleared up in heavily polluted areas of the world. Seeing how quickly the canals have cleared up, uh, the oceans, seeing animal behavior change on a dime, like finally bears in Yosemite are free to roam, where once they were choked out by cars and parking lots and people, um, free to roam and have babies. Animals everywhere, making love. <laughs> as we cower in fear they're they're willing to go with the change we're not what does that tell you there's a great change going on in the world and we don't want to do it and when we go back to so-called normal or we try to and perhaps we will have with our lunatic president uh by the time you hear this what are we going to do with those new bears in yosemite and those new bear behaviors when they're disgruntled because they have to go back to their prison that we put them in um, are we going to see them as an enemy? Are we going to start shooting them? Do they have to die back so that we can keep expanding or keep enjoying the park? Keep enjoying their company from a safe distance in the park and pretend that we're out in the rough in nature. And do they have to die for that? Do they have to die for our entertainment again? For our comfort? Do the sea turtles, do they have to move over on the beaches because we got to lie down? We got to let our kids go putzing around smashing up coral reefs and things that we don't understand because we can afford not to, we think. Still, we still think we can afford not to. I mean, what does all of this get to? The system is us. If the system is broken, it's because we are broken. I mean, in effect, a Bernie Sanders can't fix that. He can put a Band-Aid on it. He can, he can fix the external, and maybe in doing that, Something internal in us grows up, gets better, gets more, I don't know, healthier. Maybe. I doubt it. I tend to think that it's still part of the pendulum, and the pendulum will just swing right back to Trump 2.0. Don Jr. Have you met Don Jr.? Because he's your next president after Biden or Trump 2, the second term. <laughs> the final term. Uh, I mean, not to be a Debbie Downer or anything, but I've often talked about, uh, you know, global warming and the collapse of the environment and all of that in terms of us having responsibility. And there's always this pushback from people of, it's not our responsibility. Those people who believe that global warming is inevitable, isn't about pollution and what human beings are doing and yada, yada. But it is, and it is even if it isn't directly. Like, even if it's true that, that there's a uh, global reformation going on now that happens every however many thousands of years, um, that would inevitably come, and maybe we're speeding it up a little bit, maybe we're not, but it would be coming anyway, and we just have to prepare, not our fault. Um, as far as we know, although... The dolphin did talk to me in a dream. But as far as we know, we are the, the sentient species here. And so we've never figured out what that meant. We've always figured that has something to do with us being, quote-unquote, higher beings than animals and minerals. and We never thought, like, out, anything outside of just intellect or self-awareness. Um, but the more that we look at them, the more we realize, oh, wait, they're pretty smart and self-aware. 
So there must be something else that separates us. We never really quite question that. And I don't mean separates us in the Western sense or the duality, like there's us versus them. I mean that there is a continuum uh, of shallow and depth. And if there's a depth to us that we don't acknowledge, which is actually the importance of this here organism existing in the first place, what do you think happens in that state of atrophy? Something good? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think there are connections that, well, I think there are blatant connections between pollution and climate change that any scientist can tell you about, and you can deny those or not. But I think there's a deeper connection, and I think there's a deeper sense of, are we worth being here as this sentience if we're not even going to figure out what that is, if we're not going to figure out who we are, if we're not going to grow up, if we're not going to transform, if we're just always going to stay on this pendulum until we finally die of our own sickness. <laughs> 